surpassing that. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, the Bible says this. This is Jesus. This is the Sermon of the Mount, on the Mount. And Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish or destroy the law or the prophets. For I have not come to abolish or to destroy, but to fulfill. So according to Jesus... He did not come to do away with God's revelation, the Old Testament, but instead, Jesus came to fulfill and to demonstrate every part of the Old Testament that applied to the Messiah. Now, I want us to think about that this morning, but ask this question, what if Jesus had never been born? Let that sink in for just a moment. What if Jesus, the reason for the season, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the King, what if Jesus today, what if He had never, ever even been born? Dr. D. James Kennedy, who is now with the Lord, wrote a book on this back in the early 90s. You can pick it up for not much if you want to find it at a Christian bookstore or Amazon. So we're giving due credit to him for that title, but... Think about if Jesus had never been born. If you have your your bulletin, your worship guide, why don't you follow along with me? We're going to do something we don't normally do, and that's look at a bunch of different scriptures and see how it ties in with the topic. Most of the time, um, on Sunday mornings, we'll just go straight verse by verse. Right now, we're going through the book of Philippians, but we're going to kind of be in some different places this morning. But we do know this. Whether you are an atheist, an agnostic, a Christian a bulletin-carrying Southern Baptist. It is a fact that Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, is the most influential person in history. He, He is. Whether you believe it or not, Jesus Christ is the only one who has split time. B.C., A.D., B.C.E., C.E., Jesus Christ is the most influential figure to have ever lived. And if Jesus had not lived, I submit to you this morning that there would have been no one of Jesus' caliber who would be able to demonstrate a high value of human life. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, So God created man in His own image, and the image of God He created him. Male and female He created them. Romans chapter 2, verse 11 says, For God shows no partiality. And for us as 21st century Western Americans, most of us have a high regard for human life. Most of us are not fans of murder and torture and indiscriminate killing of non-combatants. Amen? And most people in the Western world would say, that's wrong. That's just, that's just, you don't do that. But if we had been back in pre, I guess we could say pre-biblical times, even during those times, we would have found that the pagan world had a very small regard for human life. In fact, if, for those of you who are history nerds in here, you can go even Google the Code of Hammurabi, which was, which predates the Mosaic Law, the Old Testament, And in the Code of Hammurabi, you could summarize it as this. Property is more valuable than persons. Then when Moses came along and God gave the law to him, we saw that persons are more valuable than property. In fact, in the pagan world, 
you had a horrific view of human life and especially of infants and children. In fact, if you and I were pagans living long ago, it would be customary that if your son or your daughter was born at the wrong time of year, on the wrong day, then you could take them out and expose them, quote unquote. In other words, you would take them out into the wilderness and leave them to die. Human life was not regarded as valuable. But then when we see God give His revelation through Moses and through the prophets, you see within the culture of Israel, even though they did not always do perfectly. You guys remember that? Right? Like maybe if you grew up in church and you were a kid and you, you, God did all of these things. He split the Red Sea, brought them out of Egypt. And it seems like time and time again, every time you turn around, they're crying and they're whining and they're saying, God, you've left us. And we're like, Israelites are pretty dumb. You ever come to that conclusion? You're like, hello, Red Sea split? Not an everyday occurrence. God destroys the armies of Egypt. He saves you. What are you thinking? But then in our lives, sometimes God has done so many things for us, and the second that something goes wrong, what do we often do? God, you've abandoned me, so you tell me who the dumb ones are. At least we've got something to look back at and see that God fulfilled it, or they were simply just in the moment. But in the culture of Israel, you saw this increasing rise in the value of human life. Infanticide and abortion for the Hebrews was so unconscionable that was considered to them to be an abomination. Not only did they love life, and you see in Proverbs, or excuse me, Psalm chapter 127 and verse 1, the Bible says that children are a gift from the Lord. Do you know what our pagan secular culture tells us? Don't have kids if you can help it. If you can, have as few as you can. The Bible is not saying some people have kids, some people don't. But the Bible has a very high regard for children. Then you see how that played out in the life of Jesus. Even in that day when people had grown away from the Lord, He said, let the little children come unto Me. There was a high regard for human life. And we saw through the life of Jesus... A couple of hundred years later, when the, uh, the, the, the games in Rome were in full effect, if you've seen the movie Gladiator, you know what a brutal, bloody time that was when you had men and animals that would get into the arena and slaughter each other. I read in a Roman history book that in one day, the games of Titus, the very same Titus who came in 70 A.D. and destroyed Jerusalem, he had control of the Colosseum. And in one day, 10,000 men and 11,000 Animals of prey, lions, things of that nature died and killed each other in the games one single day. It was a day in which human life was not regarded at all. But one day there was a Christian leader named Telemachus and he couldn't take it anymore. The blood and the gore and everything was happening. People were being slaughtered and he jumped down into the arena and he ran from gladiator to gladiator saying forbear or stop restrain forbear in the name of Christ forbear forbear and there are two accounts one is that he was killed by the gladiators and the other is that the crowd stoned him because he was interrupting their quote unquote entertainment but that epic in history so churned even the Roman sense of 
honor and duty and humanity that the games, quote-unquote, were outlawed because of a Christian leader who gave his life because Jesus had been born and lived. You look at history and you see how this progressed even into the Enlightenment. You take the great philosopher Immanuel Kant who came forward with the biblical idea. He wasn't biblical in everything, but he said, you know what? Persons are not means to ends. In other words, if any one of you are a European tyrant king, people are not for you to use as cannon fodder in order for you to get more land. Right? He said people are not means to an end, but people are ends in and of themselves. And then you see how that was reflected in our own Constitution and our Declaration of Independence where we are endowed with inalienable rights from our, help me out, from our Creator. And you see things even in our Constitution like the Eighth Amendment, which bans cruel and unusual punishments. In that day in the world, it was nothing for you to be tried by a king or a local magistrate, and there were no rules on what they could do to you. But because the Constitution was based upon the belief in God's Word, in the Bible, there was the concept of human rights. We think about warfare, at least with the Western nations today. The Geneva Convention. You can't torture, you can't do certain things. That's because it comes from the Western nations who historically have a high view of human life because of Jesus who came who fulfilled the Old Testament. We all tracking? You say, no, Jeff, hold on. I've heard somebody say that an eye for an eye, that's the biblical ethic. So the Bible doesn't have a high view of human life. That comes from Leviticus chapter 24, verse 20. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, whatever injury he has given a person, he shall be given to them. Now, if you think that that's the Bible justifying cruelty, you need to read back a little bit further. And in Genesis chapter 4, verse 23, the rule of the day was, this was from Lamech, he says, I have killed a man for wounding me and a young man for striking me. The biblical law in the Old Testament that Jesus came to fulfill, check this out, was given to restrain what you could do to another person. We all on the same page? In a world to where you could kill if you were hit, and if a person of your family was killed, you go and kill everybody of their family, the Old Testament says, no, that's all you get, not this is what you get to do. Not only if Jesus had never been born, would there never been a strong view of human life and its value, but also there would have never been someone to establish the concept of human freedom and human rights. We can look back at the ancient world with Plato. Now, you guys remember having to read him in school, right? And saying, Jesus, please come quickly, right? And, and, and Plato believed this. He said, there's two classes of people. There are free people and there are slaves. If me and my group come against you and we beat you in battle, if you subject, if you go the route of saying, I don't really want to die today, I'll willingly serve as your slave. He says, you deserve to be enslaved, and so therefore slavery is right. In other words, thinkers go with me on this. Plato's ethic was might makes right. If you've got more thugs, if you've got more guns, if you've got more whatever, and you can overpower someone, you show that you're the superior and they are slaves by nature. So you saw no problem with it. So in the pagan world, you had this interruption through the Mosaic law saying that if you, as an owner of a slave, 
punch them and knock out their tooth, guess what, guess what you have to give them? Their freedom. A view of human rights that was unknown in that time, in that area of the world. Slaves had zero right. So, but yet Jesus said, I came to set the captives free. If you have your Bibles, you want to mark this. Leviticus chapter 19, verses 33 and 34. This is the Bible saying that you can't mistreat foreigners. Notice. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. You shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So here you have around 1400 or so BC, the God of the universe coming through Moses saying, you can't mistreat people just because they're not like you. This was unknown in that area of the world, in that time. But yet Jesus came, and in Matthew chapter 5, He told them in verses 43 through 48, He says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You see, what had happened is within Israel, there had been a corruption of the law. You know how some things get lost in conversation, right? Like, for example, parents, you got kids, all right? You say, honey, let's, I don't know, let's, let's go hang out and watch a show. We'll, we'll leave in the, in the kids' room. And all of a sudden, you know, you're there, you're watching, and you're on the couch, got your arm around your wife or husband, you're just watching, you know, I got a cup of hot chocolate, whatever it may be. And then you hear that really horrific sound, um, and it's called silence. Parents, y'all awake in here? Right? And you're thinking, man, I don't want to get up. I've been up. I'm so tired. And you get up and you go into what was a clean room and they have emptied out everything. They've gotten into the markers. They've drawn on the wall. They are expressing themselves in a postmodern sense. And you're just like, my goodness, how did it go from being set up perfectly to absolute catastrophe? Sin. Amen? Right? And by, by the way, people who say, and I, I'm, I'm not a parent, and y'all, y'all know that, but people say, I think that people are born basically good. We want to offer you, from us to you, come take part in our VBS. They got some great kids who come, but seriously, when you get around kids, you see how selfish they are, how it can go from being set up. And oh, I, when I was uh, in Texas, one of my jobs was I was a tutor at a school for, for kids with math. And I remember one day, and, and you teachers, you're going to hate me for this. And I love kids. And the teacher had them all lined up in a line. And these little, little boys, they love the fighting and karate and all that. So I walked by. They're my little buddies. I'm like, hey, Mr. Jeff. I'm like, hey, what's up? <laughs> and then it was like, Kung Fu fighting. I mean, it, it was on like, I mean, old school. And they started doing that. And the teacher came in. It took me five minutes to get up on a line. I'm, like, I'm sorry, you know, I don't know what to say. My bad, my bad. But it's just one of those things that you see in human nature. The tendency to go from something that you've built up, a.k.a. civilization, and see how quickly that can go back down to barbarism. Whether it's in a nursery, whether it's in a preschool, or whether it's in a culture. So that's what had happened when Jesus came onto the scene. God had given all of these laws, these loving laws in the Old Testament. Like, love your neighbor as yourself. You know why? Because you need my love. Amen? But then they had twisted it. to say, love your friends. Love your neighbor but hate your enemy. 
Jesus busted that all to pieces and He said, you are to love your enemies. This is hard. Church people, y'all with me? This is hard. Pray for those who persecute you. He doesn't say give it in a prayer meeting to where it's gossip. We've got something we need to pray for. So-and-so, they're having a really rough time in their marriage. They're crazy. And so, I don't think that they're walking with the Lord in the way that they should be. So if we can just put that on the prayer list and distribute it to everyone, that would be great. Gossip score. I don't know if I hit home with some of y'all. I got kind of quiet and then some pockets in here. But not that, but Jesus came and He says you are to pray for those who persecute you. He, he changed it around to where it was redirected towards the law that God gave in the beginning. You see, when Jesus came, He is the King of the world, He's the Messiah, and He is the one who first and ultimately established human rights. I love talking to college students today, and I think, man, one of the worst things you can do as a college student is take one philosophy class, because you... Maybe it's just me and my, cause that's, that's what I did before, you know, and they learn a few words. Well, the incongruity feel, dude, yeah, seriously, learn more and, anyway, I'm not gonna get off on that. <laughs> control, control, control. Humility is preferable. Jesus in Luke chapter 4, thank y'all for being, helping me get accountable, cause I can, I can, alright. Luke chapter 4. Jesus, when he was there in Nazareth, it was his job to read of the scroll, all right? So they, they roll out the scroll. They didn't have chapter and verses. They couldn't turn in their Bibles like this. It was from Isaiah chapter 61. Now get this. Um, y'all ever been in church and there's been kind of awkward silence? You know? Just kind of like, okay, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. Check this out. They had to unroll the scroll, whether they had three or whether they had one, to Isaiah chapter 61. And here's what Jesus reads in front of everybody. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Check this out. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Like, what was he going to do? Verse 21, Luke 4. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You see, Jesus came to give not just spiritual freedom, but when people got saved over the centuries and it built into a momentum, you see people saying, Well, if Jesus came to give us freedom... And we are slaves of the king. There's something not right. Let me give you a few verses in the New Testament. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse 13. It says, now the spirit, the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord there is, is there is freedom. Galatians five, one for freedom in Christ. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, If you abide in My Word, you are My true disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
The Mayflower Compact, which was the first government document penned on this continent, what we know as far as English heritage is concerned, mentions God or Christ five times. If you study history as well, and I know if you got, you're not a history person, this, this, this helps us understand, alright? So stay, stay tracking. Sometimes you mention history or philosophy and it's, it's done, right? My ADHD brethren, are y'all with me? Alright? And so, in, in the, in the 1730s and the 1740s, there was something called the Great Awakening. Jonathan Edwards, pastor of Northampton Church, he gave that sermon. If you guys ever heard of it, it's called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. That's how you get people to come to church, right? Yeah, we're going to talk about sinners in the hands of an angry God. So we're going to talk about how God is going to suspend you above hell like a spider is over an inferno. And all that has to happen is for one wisp of the flame to singe that small thread and you will go to hell forever. Incredible sermon. In fact, students today study it in literature class because it's such a fine piece of literature and it's also true. What happened is when he began to read that, the Holy Spirit fell on that place. People came under conviction of sin. They thought that they were going to be, they thought they were going to hell right then. They cried out for mercy. In the 1730s, 1740s, the generation before the American war for independence against the British, there was something that we know about, but we some of us may not have experienced a true revival. And this revival so uh, changed the makeup of the colonies that do you know what the battle cry was during the War for Independence? It was no king but King Jesus. That's what it was. Some historians say that if it had not been for Jonathan Edwards and his preaching and his leadership, that there would have never been an American revolution to begin with. Not only that, but if Jesus had never been born, there would have been no one to establish promoting compassion for the poor. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, we know the parable of the good Samaritan, right? I said, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And he told the story. The guy goes on the way to Jericho. He gets jumped. He gets beat up. The guys who are related to him, the top dogs of the day, the priests, the scholar, the religious people, pass him by. But it's the Samaritan who's not like him, who stops and puts him on his own beast of burden, takes him to the inn which served as a hospital, put him on his own tab and took care of him. And Jesus said, who's his neighbor? Do you realize how many humanitarian organizations are based off of the life of Jesus, his stories, his illustrations in the New Testament? You have things like Samaritan's Purse, which um, we had a group from our church school a couple of weeks ago to help out um, for the hurricane relief. Samaritan's Purse goes all over the world. It's an incredible group. The Salvation Army, William Booth, who founded that, they help out poor people. But originally it was very evangelistic. And in fact, he says, one thing that I want to do with my workers, my Salvation Army workers, if we could allow them to look into hell for 60 seconds, every single one of them would be changed. And I think it would be the same for us as well. The Red Cross is based upon the teachings of Jesus and what He did. The YMCA, the Y, alright? The Young Men's Christian Association originally was put there to help poor people in very difficult areas, not only with the gospel, but with their physical needs as well. The Bible says, Proverbs 22.2, The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them both. Proverbs 14.31, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. 
You're saying, hold on, Jeffrey. It's almost like you're saying that it's only because of Christianity that we have any compassion. Didn't Buddha build a hospital? He did. But what predates Buddha by over a thousand years, give or take, is the Old Testament, which established not just a few random hospitals, but check this out, an entire society that guaranteed that people would not go hungry. One law, if you want to write this down for data, Leviticus 19.10 says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. Check this out. You shall leave them for the poor and the foreigner, for I am the Lord your God. And in Exodus 22-25, God says, do not charge interest to a person who is destitute and poor. So what you see here, I mean, this is like 1,500 so years or so before Christ, a society that God established so that the poor, the circumstantially poor, would be taken care of. So when Jesus came to fulfill the law, He's not just talking about it in a spiritual sense, but Jesus came to demonstrate what it truly looks like. And Jesus goes so far in Matthew 25 to say this, inasmuch as you've done it unto, help me out church, least of these, my brothers, you have done it unto me. He says, go see them in prison. He says, when they're sick, go visit them. When they don't have Food, give them some. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. If they don't have sufficient clothes, give them your coat. It's Jesus. And many of us are raised where we're like, man, He'll give you the shirt off His back. Do you realize where that concept comes from? It comes from the life of Christ. Had Jesus never been born, imagine what the world would be like today. Jesus also legitimize the dignity of women. In the Hindu Upanishads, uh, forcible rape is okayed in certain situations. We know that the Quran tells husbands to only beat their wives lightly. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27-30, through 30, He says that it is possible to sin against women. When He says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I say to you, if you look upon a woman with lust, you commit adultery in your heart. John chapter 8, with a woman caught in adultery. Yes, Jesus said that that was wrong. Do you realize that Jesus gave mercy to a woman? Ladies, Jesus treated women differently. And the only way in our secularized... See, this is one of the things where I think that we have had brain liposuction in our culture. Secular progressives talk about the rights of women, but they use Christian concepts, but they take the label off of it and put the label of progressive on it. The only way that a person, that a woman woman would have any type of concepts of rights. For example, is the Bible, like you look at it like this, why should a woman have a right? Well, because she has a right not to be mistreated, abused. I agree, but where does that right come from? Well, she just has it. Where does it come from? Genesis one twenty seven. God made women and men in the image of God. Therefore, they should not be abused. They should not be molested. They should not be raped. They should not be persecuted. That's where it comes from. 
Are y'all tracking with me this morning? The whole concept of women's rights, the fact that they're not simply a piece of property, comes from God's Word. And Jesus lived and died to establish and fulfill what that actually was. Not only that, but if Jesus had never been born, if you're an animal person, there would have never been the establishment of uh, prevention of cruelty to animals. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4, it says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it is treading out the grain. In other words, when you're working your animal, you feed your animal. You're like, that's common sense, because if you don't do that, then you're cruel. What gives you the concept of cruelty? God's Word does. William Wilberforce said this, Actually, um, Matthew, excuse me, Matthew chapter 10, verse 29, Jesus is talking about the little sparrows, and he says, none of those fall to the ground if your father, apart from your father's knowledge. You see, God cares about the animals. Not only that, William Wilberforce founded the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. And I think that we as Christians today have distanced ourselves from the concept that yes, God gave us animals to be used, animals are there for our benefit, but where does the concept of not being cruel to animals come from? It comes from God's Word. It comes through Jesus Christ and what He did to establish the Old Testament. And finally, if Jesus had never been born, there would have never been the chance of redemption and salvation. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 14, Jesus in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see, Jeff, man, I may disagree with you on this issue or that issue, but we have to understand if Jesus had never been born, number one, God would have been totally just. You realize that? God did not have to send His Son. Every single one of us are guilty before God based upon our own sin, our own relationship with God. But God sent Him into the world and Jesus lived a perfect life. And through His death and through His resurrection, we have the opportunity and the possibility to be saved. You see, the thing about atheism is that atheism has no hope of the future. There is no guarantee that the good, not the good guys. Have we talked about this in a while? There are no... The good people come to church, the bad people don't. We're all bad in God's eyes. Let me say that again for our church people. We are all sinners. There is none good, no, not one. That's why all of us need Jesus. Every single person. If you're here to say, Jeff, I've worked hard. I've tried to be faithful to my family. Doesn't matter. If you've lied, if you've stolen one time, if you've looked in lust, if you've used God's name in vain, your sin has distanced you and there is a chasm that you cannot cross. And it is only through faith in Jesus Christ that you can be saved and be born again. You see, through Jesus Christ, because He came, He lived, He died, He rose again. We have hope. Amen? We have hope that through Jesus, evil will not triumph. If Iran builds the bomb, if they drop the bomb, if there's World War III, if there's World War 3.5, if there's World War IV, if there's some type of a prepper doomsday in the future, and Jesus decides to let that carry and then come back, guess what? Evil ultimately will not prevail. Jesus Christ has given us the guarantee through His life and through His resurrection that He's coming again one day. So that means that you and I, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we can plant firmly our feet, lift up the shield of faith, hold the Word of God, and say, you know what? I don't care what the world does. I will not back down. I will not fall away. I will throw all of my energy into serving Jesus Christ because He is coming again. And because He's coming again, That means I'm living for something 
My hope is what I have not yet realized, but one day we'll see him face to face.